Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 235 or 235. My name is John O'Logan and I am going to be your host today, as per usual. You know, we're, we have a big episode tonight because uh, a, a big game just got released. Uh, a game that a lot of people have really, really been looking forward to. Um, I was not one of them until very recently uh, because I, I, I started playing something and now I'm a I'm super excited about it. So uh, let's meet our panel tonight. So first up is Caitlin Argyros. Hey there, guys. Been a while, but I'm, I'm super excited to be talking about the game today. And our second guest is Dom Kim. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. Well, before we jump into talking about this episode, uh, this uh, this game, which you definitely know because it's the entire, you know, artwork on RPGFan.com with this episode, uh, I wanted to bring up something. It's a week old at this point, but the news was huge. I want to talk a little bit about the Nintendo Direct that got released. Uh, so this was about a week ago, and a lot of games got announced, a lot of interesting stuff that uh, really took some people by surprise, like unre- unrelated to RPG or adventure game news, like we're getting a sequel to Wii Sports, uh, and there are going to be, what, like every track ever released in Mario Kart, released for Mario Kart 8, which is crazy. It's not a sequel, but that's a whole lot of new game. But in terms of RPG stuff, we got some big news. So is anyone here a Fire Emblem fan? Yep, mm-hmm. got me. Are you anyways excited for Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes? Uh, cautiously interested. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm always with Warriors games. Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same. I'm not really into Muso that much, so neither am I. I've had, I've had the Breath of the Wild prequel sitting on my uh, Switch for a long time, and I still haven't played it yet. I think I, I uh, Persona Five Strikers was on PS Plus last month or recently, and I have that, and I will definitely check that out because I'm more invested in the Persona universe than I am in the Fire Emblem universe. But I mean. Uh, I won't say more no to more Claude. I will not say no <laughs> Fair. to more Claude. Fair. I have, again, not my series, but I know a lot of people really, really like it. So this is not my series and not a genre I play. So general, I, I would be very surprised if I played this game. Um, we got announcements that Mother and Earthbound are being released on uh, for Switch Online, which is Nintendo Online, which is, uh, God, that was a troll. Oh, it was such a troll. Everyone, like, it was the perfect buildup. Like, if you... Like, you could see it the way that trailer for those two games was building. You could see the build-up into the words, like, and for the first time ever available in the West, dot, dot, dot. And then it just didn't happen. <laughs> so many people were once again uh, saddened that we did not get Mother 3. But at least Mother at least Mother uh, Zero and Earthbound are available on the uh, are available on a modern system now. Mm-hmm. We did get something else, though, that I don't think anybody expected was going to happen. Yes, we finally got confirmation of how to pronounce the title of a game. Yes. (laughs) For the first time ever ever in years. So we had, uh, and uh, honestly, the funny thing about this is the the actual title, it's not one that I would have ever suspected. Um, Live Alive, um, which is a SNES era uh, Square Soft JRPG. Uh, and it is getting a uh, 2D or HD 2D remake, um, and it looks very good. It looks very, very good. Um, so for years we've been talking about, is it pronounced Live Alive or Live a Live or, nope, Live Alive. Rhymes with Five Alive. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested in checking this out. Um, I've heard, we've all heard so many good things about it uh, that sounded so cool, but we, you know, couldn't do anything with it because they just never brought the game over and now not only are they bringing it over but it's getting you know like you said the uh the octopath treatment basically 
yeah um looking pretty and uh and i think is it gonna have full voice acting i don't know I played it before. I played the fan translation years and years and years and years ago, and I really, really liked it. Uh, the structure of the game is really, really unique. It's interesting. It actually reminds me a little bit of Octopath, but in a much more traditional JRPG way. And there are some, there are some fun characters in it and situations. And playing an RPG section set in the Old West is just awesome. It just made me want a whole game that was set in the, whole, the Old West. And yes, I know Wild Arms exists. <laughs> and it has a killer Shimamura soundtrack, so Shimamura fans... Well, you've... If you're a fan of Shimamura, you probably already listened to it. But uh, if you're like me and you like Shimamura, but you don't like obsess over her, I, I all I know is I've heard good things, and I'm looking forward to hearing the soundtrack. Mm. Um, in other news that we we in news we expected a long time ago, and then news that came out of nowhere that's related, Chrono Cross Remaster is coming out. Um, so this is going to be a remaster of uh, the PlayStation game Chrono Cross. Um, but the news that has me excited and took everyone by surprise, because we expected the remaster. We expected it, I think, in the last Direct, or we expected it in last year's E3. We've been expecting it for a while. But they're doing a full translation of Radical Dreamers, which is the uh, the visual novel uh, text-based game that's a direct sequel to Chrono Trigger, and which was the inspiration for the plot of Chrono Cross. And that's available here for the first time in English. So that's crazy. And it's going to have a... Uh... Well, a retouched soundtrack. They didn't necessarily specify exactly how, if it was going to be a re-recording or just a remaster. The The music in the trailer sounded like the original soundtrack from the PS1 game, so I don't think that was a new version of that track. But uh, ain't very excited to hear whatever they're going to do to spruce up one of Mitsuda's best soundtracks of all time. I have my issues with Chrono Cross. The soundtrack is not one of them. The soundtrack is so brilliant. Um, my first thought upon looking at the screen, like I thought the, the new, uh, the new remastered character models, they look great. I thought the backgrounds looked terrible. Um, and in fact, some of the, the fan mods, like the fan made upscale mods looked better than that. So it'll be interesting to see how it looks in the final, uh, the final release. It's worth pointing out that this is not just coming to switch though. This is going to be a multi-platform release, including, PS4 and PC. Yeah. So it's going to be available for everyone, unlike other uh, Square Enix games that are not available on the Switch. Um, but the big title, the one that everyone is, uh, well, not everyone, certain people, one person specifically on this podcast is very excited about uh, is, uh, well, there, there were two people playing flutes. They were very, they were, they were playing flutes and I had no idea what it was because I have never played these games, but Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Honestly, even if you had played those games, the flute thing is kind of interesting. I don't, I I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that works in the game, if it's going to just be like in cutscenes or if there's going to be gameplay elements to it or whatnot. Uh, certainly the soundtrack's going to be interesting because it's going to be flute uh inspired music so but yeah um oh my god uh i you know we all we're all expecting to have something from monolith soft about xenoblade whether it was going to be uh you know i think i'm sure a lot of people were hoping it would be a xenoblade uh uh x port um which didn't happen uh maybe someday um but we knew that they were still going to do something else something new in the series but i think I don't know. I was not expecting this. I I was expecting them to maybe give us an update on Breath of the Wild too. Um, so it was really cool to see. And then there's lots of holy crap, what is going on based on the the, the few 
minutes that we got to see. Uh, crazy ass shit like the McConaughey sword standing alongside the what looks like the dead body of one of the Titans from Xenoblade 2. And uh, a Hyantia woman who might be Malia, it's not quite sure who she is, and a cat girl who could be Nia. They're wearing masks. We don't know for sure yet, although we know that Jenna Coleman is is involved, so whatever. There's lots of potential here for what they're doing with this game uh, as a sort of a connection between Xenoblade 1 and Xenoblade 2. Uh, and I am tentatively all here for it. I'm super happy that Mitsuda and Ace and uh, Kenji Hiramatsu uh, are all involved in the soundtrack. I'm tentatively excited about the story because Xenoblade 2 had lots of issues um, that I really hope don't continue, but we'll see. It's really hard to tell with a teaser trailer. But September, it's coming out in September, in seven months, what is this sorcery? Yeah, and they wouldn't have announced it that close if they thought it was going to be delayed either. So I have, a, I am, I'm pretty strong. I feel pretty strongly that this game is going to get released. It's going to make its release date this year, at least. I yeah. mean, if it gets pushed back at all, I don't expect it's going to be pushed out of 2022. Yeah. I don't know Jenna Coleman was in uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Yeah, she's she's Malia's voice actress. I love Jenna Coleman. <laughs> I've always been a fan of. I've always been a fan of her. Um, well, this is it, it. Was a big Nintendo Direct. Like we just kept getting hit with thing after thing, and that's like that's just scratching the surface. Uh, Front Mission first got really uh, got announced, which is a remake of the SNES again, Square uh, SquareSoft uh, strategy RPG. Uh, and the sequel to that's going to be coming out. We got confirmation that Advance Wars 1-2 is going to be coming out in a few months. Uh, we got a more about the open world Kirby game where Kirby can transform into a number of things. <laughs> that was, I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a certain level of body horror involved in that. <laughs> oh, a certain level. There's a lot of body horror associated with that. I think my favorite thing about that is, though, that he doesn't turn into a car. He just turns into a car cover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was pretty. It's like if Pepto-Bismol just, you know, you just coated your car in Pepto-Bismol and then drove it around. Well, that, that Nintendo really should have just gone for that for their uh, advertising campaign. <laughs> Dip the top half of a car in like orange paint and just drive them around town. Actually, that would be a good advertising uh, uh, advertising campaign. Um, right now, let's talk about I think the biggest release uh, in February, at least for me, um, which is Horizon Forbidden West. Now, this is the sequel to Horizon Zero Dawn. It got released in 2017 uh, for the PlayStation 4, and it's it's available obviously on PlayStation 5 as well, which is what I'm playing it on. Um, this got compared heavily to. Uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild when it first came out uh, for its like nature setting and open world and uh, in some in some ways it got compared not really all that favorably because like with Breath of the Wild you could climb and grow everywhere you could just climb a mountain whereas in uh, Zero Dawn you could only climb in certain areas or you could do what I do on the side of mountains which is hop up um, and I thought you know what I've wanted to play this game for years I've heard such great things about it I'm going to play Horizon Zero Dawn uh, to prepare for Horizon Forbidden West. And I started it uh, I started it about last week. I'm about midway through. I'd be further through if I wasn't constantly hunting mugs and flowers um, throughout the land. So uh, I just want to talk a quick little bit about what I love about this game uh, and a few things that, that aren't really sitting fantastic with me. And then how, Caitlin, 
you can talk about how Horizon Forbidden Dawn apparently just fixes everything and just is a phenomenal sequel. Sure. So I I just adore the main character. Aloy is uh, Aloy is not just wonderfully performed. Uh, I think she is wonderfully animated. Like there's so much character and personality in everything from her climbing, jumping, somersaulting. It's just she really feels like a fully defined character in her physicality and emotional life. And I just love her. I think she's a wonderful character. Yes. And I don't think I need to sell you on that, Caitlin. Oh, no, you don't have to sell me on that at all. I'm like our, probably RPG fans, number one Aloy fan. So yeah, I love how she is like the most competent person in the world, but she is still figuring things out. And she approaches things with skepticism, but is still open minded about it. It's just, she's a really, really great character. Um, Similar to her animations being wonderful, I have to say that the graphics in this game, for especially for 2017 PlayStation 4, they're just gorgeous. Uh, the enemy designs are stunning. The organic nature of the machines is beautiful in an absolutely horrifying way where you can see these machines and they're still identifiable as like their inspirations, but they are very unique in terms of uh, they look mechanical. Uh, it's, it, they're just gorgeous. Uh, and similarly, the world is absolutely beautiful. Like this is a post-apocalyptic game, but rarely has the post-apocalypse look so pretty. Like it's, it's just a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful looking game. Now I have been experiencing a few graphic issues, which have been strange, uh, primarily in cutscenes, um, with a lot of really weird, uh, clipping with hair and, the, there's something really weird going on with the physics on Aloy's hair a lot of the time where it just is like going crazy for no reason. And I don't know why. Like I tried restarting the system, uh, closing it down, reopening it, but it seems maybe it's just on a PlayStation 5, but my Aloy's hair is weird in this. Does it happen when it cuts to her? Yeah, uh, it's only in cutscenes though. Yeah, no, that seems to be a problem with the engine. It happens in Forbidden West too. Okay, um, yeah, so... I think the story thus far is really, really engaging and interesting. Uh, I really love how they are like in this world, it, it's inhabited by a various, various, you know, tribes after the end of the world. And this is, I don't know how long it is after the end of the world, but it's long enough that uh, modern day has turned into myth for these people. And they are looking at our works and seeing them through the lens of their own lives and trying to figure it out. And, I really like the way they do that. Uh, I think my favorite joke in the entire game is in Frozen Wilds. You are you come upon like a kind of like a wilderness museum, and brought to you by Montana Recreations. Yeah, it's hilarious every single time. It's Montana. It's it's just it's great. Um, I just really like how these people are trying to interpret our modern world, and it's never laughable. It's not like, haha, aren't these people so stupid that they don't know what a car is? Like, it's genuinely, their their guesses make sense based on the world that they exist in. Um, I think the lore of the world is wonderful. I wish it was easier to find. Um, it's, it's really tricky to find sometimes. Like, it's just like little handheld phones and things like that that you have to spot and then zoom into uh, with your focus. And sometimes they're easy to miss. I wish that the lore was a little bit easier. And it's also spread out in really weird places. Like it's not localized to like uh, like formerly inhabited zones. It's like a random car in the middle of nowhere will have a phone sitting on top of it. Um, I think the battle system is, I think it's excellent. Uh, upgrades are uh, wonderful and they really expand the battle system as you play them. Fighting against the uh, machines is great. Fighting against the humans is a little bit less so. Uh, I found myself playing whenever there's a bandit camp 
I, I find them fairly boring because I can literally camp out in the bushes out front and just lure them out one by one uh, by throwing a rock. And there's just a pile of bodies building up in front of the camp. And their reaction to this is a blase. Hey, I see a body over here. And they kind of walk <laughs> over to it and then you just kill them. And that's kind of, I just wish the humans were a little bit more intelligent, um, but hopefully that gets fixed. So anyway, I'm really enjoying this game. Um, I'm going to continue playing it. Obviously I'm going to finish it. Uh, and you know, at some point I would really, really like to play the sequel because I hear it's real good. Caitlin is this, is the sequel to horizon zero dawn real, real good. It's real, real good y'all. Oh yeah. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the sequel? It's horizon forbidden West. Sure. Okay. So forbidden West starts, uh, pretty much right after the end of the first game. It's been about six months since the end of the first game. And to set the stage without spoiling things for both John Owen, for anybody who has not played zero dawn, uh, you, the whole journey in zero dawn, it teaches you about this apocalyptic event that happened and why the world is the way it is. And of course it's not, all you know sunshine and rainbows there is a threat to this this world uh that threatens to destroy all life and Aloy has to find a way to stop it and she does that but she quickly realizes in the process of doing that that stopping that immediate threat is only part one of saving the world she also has to figure out a way to save uh, a crumbling biosphere basically Mother Nature's going haywire. Uh, there are huge megastorms that are, you know, wrecking havoc across the land. There's this blight that is destroying crops and animals and is threatening to starve all people. And she has to find a way to fix it. And in the course of trying to find a solution, she gets, uh, she finds out that there might be a solution out in the Forbidden West. And the Forbidden West, you'll you will hear about it as you're playing Zero Dawn. A couple of throwaway conversations bring up the Forbidden West. It is this obviously it's to the west of where uh, Zero Dawn is set, which is sort of in the it's in between uh, Colorado and Utah and Arizona, and you go up to Wyoming and in the frozen wilds and whatnot. Presumably, so, Montana plays a role. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I guess, sort of, I don't know. Montana recreations. Montana recreations. The great Montana recreations. Man, that conversation was so good. That's really good. There's a guy out there, his name, his first name is Montana, his last name is Recreations, and he was a, he was a good guy. Um, so you have to go to this, uh, Forbidden West area. It's sort of, uh, the American Southwest. Uh, so we're talking like Nevada, we're talking the California coastline, things like that. And it's, uh, it's well known in the lore of the game, even in Zero Dawn as being a dangerous place with dangerous machines. And there are dangerous tribes out there that do not like the tribes out East in the, in, in the Zero Dawn, uh, areas. Uh, but, Aloy gets a tip from a, uh, shall we call him a frenemy? You, if you've played Zero Dawn, you know who I'm talking about. I won't say anymore. But she gets a tip from this person that what she needs might be out there. So she, of course, goes out there. And in true fashion, things do not go according to plan. There's uh, civil war brewing among tribes. There's uh, these 
well, I can't really say much about them, but there are some interesting, uh, mysterious strangers that get introduced that kind of shake things up with regards to what we understood about uh, the timeline and the events that happened leading up to the apocalypse. And it is more, it is a, it is a bigger problem and a bigger job to fix than Aloy can possibly handle by herself. So one of the really great things about this game's story compared to the first game is that um, Aloy cannot do this by herself. She has to get help from her friends. Um, the first game you meet lots of interesting characters, but they are mostly relegated to side stories, side content. There's there's a there's a couple of main story arcs that are related, but they are decidedly their own thing and aren't necessarily part of the the main threat. But they have some really fun characters that Aloy gets to know and fans really got to like. But you know, most of her journey, she's by herself or possibly talking with, you know one person she it's a solo journey for the most part until the very end in which you know things get out of hand that's not the case with this game Aloy tries so hard to keep doing her one woman hero thing but eventually she has to admit she needs help and it's really nice to see both old characters come back and get more development and also some really great new characters I love the new characters that they introduce in this game. Kotalo is my favorite, um, but I really like the other characters that they come in as well. And you get to know them, you get to do quests for them, they are involved in the main story, and it's really nice to have, it, it kind of expands the world a little bit. So it's not just woman versus wild, it is woman and her kicking <laughs> bunch of friends versus wild. I'm actually happy to hear that because one of the things in Horizon Zero Dawn, it really is an origin story. Like, obviously, you, you're with her from birth, but you see her uh, her struggles and even the burden of her birth and how she is a solitary figure, especially after the events early in the game. So I really like hearing that her character grows in this and they're building that into the gameplay as well by creating party system sort of thing. I mean, yeah, sort of. Like, it's not like... Uh, this is still an action RPG, so it's not like you have you know, party controls and you can tell people to do things and whatnot. Uh, your friends will accompany you for main story missions here and there. There's still a good chunk of the main story where you're out by yourself, but there are lots of uh, missions that involve you going out somewhere with one of your one or more of your companions and having them be involved. So they, they act as NPC then, support. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Um, so obviously, this is a pretty much entirely new map. Um, you from start to finish, pretty much with one small little cameo near the start where you you return to Meridian before heading west. It is super beautiful to explore. Like. You're talking, I mean, obviously Zero Dawn, I agree, was an incredibly gorgeous looking game. And this is still a cross-generation game, so it's still designed to run on PS4. Um, but I'm, of course, playing it on PS5. And, oh my god, uh, I mean, I'm impressed I got as far as I did before uh, Embargo. Because I the, the urge to just stop and gawk and stare and take like a million screenshots at every new place is so strong the the art design at work here and just the the scale of it like you know being able to start in a valley and then climb up a mountain and then you know use your your glider to glide 
down to another valley. Mm, this and... sounds like a familiar gameplay loop somewhere. I've, I think I've played something like this in the past. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure I'm not going to completely, uh, I'm not going to argue that Breath of the Wild wasn't an influence with regards to the glider that you get. Uh, I will say that I do think the constant comparisons are not fair to either I agree, games. actually, 100%. Playing Horizon Zero Dawn, it's its own thing. Very much its own thing. I mean, it has a considerably better story, for one thing, and obviously much more character development. Their, their, their stories are told in very different ways. Um, I'm really happy to hear that they put in the uh, the glider, though, because that is such a great, amazing gameplay mechanic in Breath of the Wild, just because it opens up the entire expanse of the world in such a breathtaking way that to see that in a world like Horizon Forbidden West would just be amazing. Yeah, it gives, I mean, it's just, it's freeing to say, oh, I'm going to climb this tower or this mountain. I don't have to find some zip line to take me back down. I can just, I can just glide back down. Yeah. Um, and it looks cool. You know, it's like a holographic, like, I, I don't know, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense how it catches air and keeps her from falling like a stone, but it looks cool. I have enough of Aloy falling like a stone from the first game. I don't yeah. need her falling like a stone anymore. And that's only one half. Like, they they did a lot to improve verticality and how you uh, go up. So for one of the things that they did is, and um, they probably didn't do themselves any favor with the way that they originally explained it you can climb a lot more in forbidden west than you could in zero dawn in zero dawn you basically could only climb specific points uh they were often marked with yellow or white or whatnot and there was really only one way to go up a surface you had to go the way that the points are placed you had no choice about oh i want to go this way or do i have to jump to that point you have a lot more freedom with surfaces that you are allowed to climb to choose how you go. So one of the things you can do uh, in the game, uh, instead of having to always have a long, uh, slow focus scanning thing where you go into this like very slow walk and you can see weak points on enemies and you can see uh, wildlife that you can shoot, you can now do a press, not a hold, but a press of the R3 button to do a quick pulse. And what that does is it'll highlight things like stuff you can pick up but it also highlights on climbable surfaces everywhere that you can, that Aloy can grab onto. And so you'll see when you find, you know, a cliff face that you can climb, you'll, you do that pulse and you can see the whole thing is lit up with all these different places where you can go. So you have a lot more freedom to climb where the game lets you climb. It is not true. It's not like Assassin's Creed uh, Origins or Odyssey where you can really climb just about anything. The game just, you know, makes it look realistic based on you know the surface that you're climbing and it's certainly not like breath of the wild where you can climb up you know a straight metal wall i guess you know except if it's raining oh well, it's um, raining you can't climb anything well, i mean you yeah. can't you can try uh, but it's going to be the most frustrating experience of your gaming life yeah so they've done i, I think they have expanded vertical climbing in a way that makes sense for horizon which is to give you more to make it more feel more natural and give you more freedom of choice as to how you get from point A to point B without necessarily having to make this huge, massive world with lots of structures and cliffs and mountains where they have to make it possible that you can climb everything. So that's that's the that's the the vertical thing. Now you can also go underwater in this game, which was a thing that you 
you could technically go underwater in Zero Dawn, but you wouldn't, you weren't actually exploring it. It was just a, another way to hide uh, from sight. From yeah, enemies. there wasn't really anything yeah, under there. Yeah. So here you can completely explore, you know, any body of water that is deep enough for her to submerge and swim. You can submerge and you, you know, you, you get the whole, you know, underwater view. Um, you do have a breath system at first until you eventually get, uh, can craft an item that lets you basically, it's, it's like a rebreather that lets you, you be underwater infinitely. And it's really cool. There's lots of added stuff you can do with that. There's, there are caves with hidden passages that you can find optionally. Uh, it's, it's involved in main story missions. You do eventually get to the sort of the California coast. Um, you might remember that the, reveal trailer showed Aloy in San Francisco. So you do get to go out to that part of California and you get to swim in, in the, the ocean or the bay or whatnot. And there are monsters, there, there are machines there that you have to avoid. You cannot fight underwater, unfortunately, although that makes sense. Mm. Um, so you can, you can stealth a little bit if you have machines by hiding in, uh, in seaweed and whatnot. It's really pretty. It looks good. For the most part, it controls well. There's a couple of instances in which the camera did not really like close quarters and kind of got crazy. But I mean, that's to, maybe to be expected for a big open world game uh, like that. So so there's that. There's, there's lots of new ways to explore your world. You also have a pull caster. It's basically a grapple hook Ooh. that you can use to Aloy can use it to jump up to a distant surface that she may not be able to reach. And that is involved in main story missions. It's involved in exploring the world. You can even use it to your advantage in combat. You can shoot yourself up to uh, a point and then you push circle right before you hit that. And you'll, she'll actually launch herself up into the air and then you can glide over an enemy and then smash down on them if you want. Um, you can also use it to pull things to you, and that gets used a lot in there – are, there are a lot of environmental puzzles this time around. Um, Zero Dawn was really bad. The, the main game was really bad. It had almost no puzzles. About the only puzzle that you ever did in Zero Dawn was uh, the, uh, the holographic uh, key locks to enter certain parts of structures that you'd have to like push them in certain directions in order to unlock a door. For, uh, Frozen Wilds uh, was much better about having actual puzzles, yes. but there are a lot of environmental puzzles in Forbidden, Forbidden West. Um, you find ruins as you explore. These are, for the most part, entirely optional. They have nothing to do with the main story. Uh, almost every ruin involves an environmental puzzle where you have to f figure out how to get someplace, and it usually involves, you know, pulling down like a vent to climb into a vent or using a, a crate to give yourself a boost uh, to reach someplace. Um, the tall necks are back. You use them to uncover the map and all of them have been different experiences, have been interesting puzzles about how to get there. That's really exciting because that is kind of one of the more uh, basic versions of the game where it's it, it, basic moments where it's the same thing every time. You just find a high place, jump yeah. on, climb, 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 climb. It's not super challenging. Zero Dawn especially. You, uh, they, they mixed it up in in Frozen Wild, but yeah. uh, Zero Dawn was like every tall neck was the same thing. And so far in Forbidden West, every tall neck has been a, you know, you still ultimately have to get to the tall neck's head, but it's been a different puzzle, different experience, figuring out how to get there. That's um, cool. One tall neck, uh, that I uh, ran into, um, it had been damaged by other people trying to 
uh, break it apart for scrap. So I actually had to shoot it with anchors to slow it down so that I could climb it and fix it and then get the data from it. So that was a very different experience than, say, uh, the one I just did earlier to, or last night, actually, mm-hmm. um, where I had to actually sort of like Frozen Wilds, I had to find some parts to fix the tall neck before I could climb it. And then I had to figure out how to even get to the place where I needed to jump to the tall neck. It wasn't, it wasn't like as soon as I fixed it, oh, I just go here and Bob's your uncle. I actually had to do another environmental puzzle to figure out how to get high enough to jump to the tall neck. It sounds like in many ways, Frozen Wild wasn't just DLC for uh, Forbidden or for um, Zero Dawn. It, it, it prototyped a lot of these uh, innovations, I guess. Yo, d- yeah, like definitely. it sounds like the Dam um, Quest, for example, in Frozen Wilds, uh, which works has a lot more environmental puzzles and things like that. Gildan, yeah, Gildan, Gildan. yeah, my favorite. Yeah, that was my favorite uh, side quest in the game. I loved Gildan so much. Yes, uh, he was so he um, was so annoying, but at the same time, so like chipper and happy and really sad too. There was a lot going on in that performance that I loved. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree for sure. Uh, in multiple ways. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, talking about tall necks, they, they mixed things up with the tall neck there. And that's sort of a precursor to what they're doing here. Uh, the animation uh, quality in Frozen Wild is a lot better mm-hmm. than in the main game. The characters actually like move around in a cutscene as opposed to just sort of being talking heads. The side quests were a lot more interesting and had much more memorable characters. And both of those things, the animation, quality, and cutscenes, and the memorable characters and, and better side quests are true in uh, Forbidden That's West. Awesome. They are two of the most improved things, I would say, about the game versus Zero Dawn. Um, starting with the animation, holy shit. Um, this is some of the best cutscenes I've ever seen really uh it's kind of gorgeous uh they did a lot more motion capture and performance and facial capture so there's a lot more realistic uh emoting and small little micro expressions that uh pop through when characters are you know kind of being snarky Mm -hmm. or or whatnot and it's really great to see that not Every cutscene does as that same quality. Some of the, you know, the the, the more optional cutscenes for side quests and whatnot uh, are still better animated and more lively than anything in the base game of Zero Dawn, but clearly not on the same level of that. It looked more like they were just doing um, regular animation as opposed to motion capture. And sometimes I would notice characters not quite looking in the right place. Um, sometimes Alia would be like looking above the head of the character she was talking mm. to or you know not uh, elsewhere she she clearly was supposed to be looking at this person but was not so occasionally there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between probably what they intended it to do and and how the character's actually animating but by far the vast majority of the time the cutscenes are beautiful to behold and i'm I'm looking forward to seeing them continue this level of quality. Uh, if you know, if we get, I don't know, if we're getting DLC or if we're getting, I'm assuming, I really would be surprised if we don't A get entry. another game. Yeah. yeah. And then the side quests. There are so many side quests. Uh, lots of different 
side quests. See, it's um, interesting because like you were hinting at before when you said there are so many side quests, my first thought was, oh no, <laughs> because the side quests in Zero Dawn aren't great. No, they're so much better in, in Forbidden West. There's, I mean, uh, a few duds here and there, but the vast majority of them have been a lot of fun and interesting and it's not like a, a one and done like I just need you to go get this thing and bring it back and then whatever. Although there are there are side quests and there are errands and errands are usually a little bit uh, simpler in terms of objectives. But still, I mean, a lot of them feel like, I mean, it's kind of on a certain level, I almost wonder why they split side quests and errands up because sometimes it's like they're all side quests. Yeah. Um, but no, they're really good. There's there's lots, there's, you know, a bunch of interesting characters that get introduced. Um, some of them that I, you know, you know, you, you kind of fall in love with and others that uh, you kind of like, oh, there's one of these types. Yeah. Um, and they really help to flesh out the world a little bit. Yeah, you're obviously not just exploring this beautiful expanse of uh, the American Southwest, but you're getting to know the different tribes that inhabit this area and learning about all of their you know what what are their beliefs and what are the, what are the politics involved and there are politics involved <laughs> of uh, course there are. with some of these tribes and these side quests really help to sort of flesh things out and and also just you know you have some side quests where uh there are Asaram or karja from the east coming in and they're maybe in over their heads and, you know, you kind of get to experience a little bit more of the awe of this, this wild, somewhat untamed land that uh, before this game was, was pretty much uh, seen as sort of like a, a no man's like, you know, don't go there if you value your life and whatnot. That's cool. I mean, one of the things I really, like I said, I really loved about Zero Dawn was uh, both the different tribes and things and how they felt differently and just how humanity how human society evolved after this cataclysm and in the ways it the ways the different groups uh, embraced technology or embraced the materials that were given or reacted to the various machines that were around them. I found that uh, intriguing and it really drew me into the lore of the game. So I'm glad to hear that they are continuing that with uh, Forbidden West. Uh, can I ask you a quick question? Because I was super impressed with the music of Zero mm -hmm. Dawn. How's the music in Forbidden West? It's super good. Um, I would be surprised if it, it was. Yeah. Uh, it's all the same people. They, as well as an additional member whose name escapes me at the moment, they did a, a, a PlayStation blog uh, a while back where they introduced the sound team and as well as the, uh, as well as a new person. Um, I can probably find it in a little bit if I look. Uh, but, I, you know, the, uh, they're all back and, oh, God, I need the soundtrack like yesterday. <laughs> it's, it is... Just as beautiful, atmospheric, uh, ethereal uh, music. I think the battle themes have been vastly improved. Um, I, I reviewed Zero Dawn's soundtrack for us, and I noted in that review that the battle themes were the weaker, one of the weaker elements of the soundtrack because it just weren't a whole lot of super memorable or 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 melodic yeah, I, themes. It was a lot more, you know, percussion or or you know whatever based. Um, been a lot of good battle themes um so i'm i've been refreshing vgmdb like every couple of days hoping to find a listing for a release date for the soundtrack it's gonna happen it just is a question of when yeah I, i'm i was very impressed with the music of zero dawn uh and you're right I, now that i think about it the the combat music just kind of i mean it works it's not bad at all but it's just kind of there well speaking about combat um 
like I said, the combat with the uh, machines is phenomenal. Uh, I love the way it works. The combat with the humans was much not great. Uh, how has that changed in Forbidden West? I remember the video that we saw months and months and months ago. They made a big deal about having expanded the combat. Um, how has that played out? Uh, yeah, so, oh, okay, I did actually just look it up. Um, I have the, the new edition to the soundtrack's name. I'm going to butcher it if I say it, though. So I, uh, Oleksa Lozokchuk, or sorry, Lozokchuk, um, Sorry, sorry, I probably butchered that, and I hate that because people often mispronounce my name. But yeah, that that is the uh, the the new addition to the soundtrack team. They've done some interesting things to uh, sort of well, how to put this? I think uh, machine combat is was really good in the in, in Zero Dawn, so they've just made improvements to keep it being really awesome. Things like obviously there's a ton of new machines to discover uh some of them are small some of them are gigantic um they are all sort of more uh on the line of the frozen wilds where uh you all the machines that were introduced in the frozen wilds expansion were a lot more aggressive uh would be much more willing to like get up close and personal with you or climb surfaces in order to get after you uh that's still kind of true in forbidden west so be prepared to like you know stay on your toes and be prepared for machines to make it difficult for you to get you know if you if you're aiming for a very particular part uh of their body to like you know get rid of a, a component or shoot off a weapon they're gonna make it harder for you to do that so the challenge is a little bit up there and they've done some things like they've expanded the amount of components that most machines have. So uh, even returning machines will have additional parts of their bodies that you can shoot off um, and you'll need to do that in order to recover it. So uh, the way the, uh, the component system works here is that in order to get certain components in the game, you have to shoot them off before you kill the machine. If you kill the machine, then those components are destroyed and you can't. Okay, that's them. clever. Yeah. And you'll need some of these parts for uh, to buy equipment, to upgrade equipment, and the upgrade system has been completely overhauled. It's actually now a thing. There wasn't really upgrading in the first game beyond attaching modifications to weapons and armor. So now every piece of equipment, you know, weapon, armor you get can be upgraded multiple times at a workbench, which of course requires materials that you have to go out and hunt or purchase or whatnot. Uh, and upgrading it increases stats or unlocks additional ammo types. Uh, weapons get perks and armor gets uh, skills and those skills can actually uh, uh, complement and supplement the skills that you can unlock in your own skill trees, which have also been greatly expanded. There are now six skill trees, each one dealing with a different kind of combat or exploration. So like there's a there's a healing tree, there's a machine override tree, there's a trap tree, there's uh, various trees for different kinds of like, you know, ranged or melee combat, things like that. You have different uh, types of weapons that can introduce, some of which uh, I liked more than others. Um, the spike launcher is my favorite because it's a lot of fun to just launch spikes at enemies and watch them explode. Uh, there's additional uh, ammo, uh, um, uh, elemental types that have been introduced. So there's acid damage, there's purge water damage, uh, there's um, plasma 
damage that you can now use to do, do various different things and take take advantage of. Again, I mentioned this in my review. Um, some of them I found more useful than others, but it's going to depend on the machine you're fighting. It's going to depend on your kind of play style. I think different people will probably gravitate to different uh, pieces of equipment based on how they like to approach combat. Um, they also have, thank God, greatly expanded melee combat. So mm. now in, in Zero Dawn, there was, melee combat was incredibly boring because you basically just had a light attack and a heavy attack. You had attack whack and, and you had was, poke. Yeah. And you really, you only use that if an enemy got up close and personal and you wanted to get a few hits in or whatnot, or you knocked them, you know, on off balance and didn't want to do a critical strike. Or you wanted to kill a pig. There wasn't, yeah, if you, or you wanted to kill a pig, yeah. So here in Forbidden West, you actually now have combos that you can unlock in the melee skill tree. Um, different things, you know, it will, uh, you know, different moves. Uh, some of them can be useful to like, you know, get away from an enemy that's up close and personal if you need a, a little bit of space. Others let you jump across uh, uh, from one enemy to another really quickly. Uh, your spear will now... Um, build up energy with every hit and once it reaches a certain threshold you do a heavy attack on an opponent you prime them with a resonator blast on a certain part of their body and then if you can precisely shoot an arrow at that it explodes for massive damage that sounds fun so yeah so there's like there can actually be incentives to use melee combat where appropriate uh, depending on the the enemy you're dealing with. Um, I still did not really ever feel like it was worthwhile to do melee combat with machines, mostly just because it's you can't really stagger them uh, with melee uh, effectively. So you wail on a machine in close range, they're still going to attack you and, and then you have to dodge or get hit or whatnot. So it never felt super... Situationally, maybe there'd be, there'd be situations where it would work, but... I mainly used melee on human I opponents. I mean, realistically speaking, if you're fighting a machine at that size, you do not want to get up close with them with a stick. No, yeah. Um, so human opponents, uh, they I don't really feel like they work any different than they did in Zero Dawn. Okay, um, so they're still the slightly one thing, dumb. Oh yeah, they're still dumb, and they're still very much like they're they're either going to shoot you or they're going to charge you, and then you know you do melee. The one interesting thing is that uh, the rebel camps that you can take over, and they function very similar to the bandit camps in the first game. Uh, they all have a leader, and this leader usually has a holographic shield, uh, so he's carrying a big sword and a shield and he's much tougher to take down because of the shield which you can overwhelm and break it temporarily if you wail on it enough same thing as in uh frozen wilds with the nutcase with the flamethrower yeah basically um so there's a there's a little bit there but your average mooks did not feel really any different to me than zero dawn and the rebel camps are also very much the same as the bandit camps in the first game but the most the most interesting thing with them, um, they are tied to a side quest, so you do still want to do them at some point. Um, I was excited to get uh, a piece of gear from Zero Dawn from one of the rebel camps, so maybe that's a little bit of incentive. Mm. And you can also get um, dog tags from them that you can then turn in to get gear oh, nice later touch. on in the game. So, um, but yeah, I don't know that. I feel like part of the problem with human combat in 
this game. It's just that the machines are much more interesting to fight. And I mean, I'm sure there are things that that Guerrilla Games could do to make to to change that. But it's also just like you know, you made a game where you fight giant robot dinosaurs. It's kind of hard to make regular mm-hmm. human opponents interesting next to that. Yeah, understand? No matter what you do, so. Uh, I'm sure there are things they can do to make it better, but I think it's always going to be, this is a game you play primarily to, to destroy machines. Whale on the big machine. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, you know, there are other things like the hunting grounds make a return. Uh, there's an arena that you can uh, unlock where you can basically fight, um, different sort of combos of machine enemies. It's all time based though, which I really hate. Mm. I really wish that was not the case. Um, but that's there um you can race oh mounts in this game there's a racing mini game yeah which is okay it's a thing you can do but it's it was actually one of the pieces of side content that made me kind of roll my eyes a little bit like oh so now we have racing now we have mario kart it's it is very much mario kart by the way you pick up uh, ammo and you use it to mess up your opponents and there is a boost there's 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 the equivalent of a well, mushroom. hey if yakuza can do it why not yeah but it's just kind of like wow so um it's still fun and the characters are kind of kooky and and zany so i kind of i kind of like them um and there's just there's a lot to to do uh when you're exploring the wilds i think that um they did a good job of first off they did a good job of just distracting you from the main story with all the side quests and oh, no. the I'm, the things you can discover in, uh, in the world and making the world interesting just visually enough that you just want to set out in a direction and find out what that thing is in the distance mm-hmm. and it's probably you know it's like a vista point or it's a relic ruin or it's you know the the body of a horribly big uh, uh, Cthulhu like monster machine that from 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 ages past that uh, might hold some secrets. So um, just a lot of a lot of good all around. Um, there have been some technical issues that I've experienced, um, some of which have been somewhat alleviated by the day one patch, but not entirely. So uh, things like um, Sometimes it seems to only happen if I've been playing for a while. Um, parts of structures will not load oh. until I get near them, like almost on top of them. So I'll see like the top part of a building that's just like floating in midair until I get near it. And then suddenly the rest of it loads in. Hmm. Um, there have been a few issues where if I'm moving around the map, uh, the screen will actually go black for a sl- second um, while the game loads. Um that was supposed to have been alleviated by the day one patch. It has not happened as often, but it has still been happening since. So, uh, and I expect hopefully that future patches will um, improve that. Hopefully, um, Yeah. A um, couple of crashes, a uh, couple of instances of enemies actually clipping through the environment and becoming, un- becoming untargetable. Um, but the game is very generous with autosaves. Um, every time I crashed, uh, my autosave was right where I needed to be. I didn't really lose any progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, like I said, I hope, I hope some future patches help iron out some things because the game is super good and pretty and fun to play if we can just iron out a few of the issues. Well, hopefully they're going to do that because, uh, I mean, based on the reviews, certainly this game is going to be heading towards critical acclaim. Um, 
people really, really, really like this game, and for good reason. Um, I cannot wait to dig my uh, teeth into it after, of course, I finish Zero Dawn, which at my current progress might take a little while because God knows I got to find all of those mugs, all those mugs and all those flowers. Um, I just love it. I think it's. I thought. I think the first one was wonderful. I'm so glad that they. It sounds like they nailed it with the second one, and I cannot wait to. Uh, play. I can't wait to, to hear your reactions. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I will message you with them. Because there's there's some shit <laughs> that goes down. <laughs> oh, and I guess one last thing. If you, you're playing Zero Dawn now, so you've already learned that there aren't really a whole lot of boss fights. Not really. In Zero Dawn. There, there are boss fights in Forbidden okay. West. And they are quite interesting. Some of them are pretty bombastic. Some of them are interesting. I had one boss fight where I couldn't actually kill my opponent. I had to figure out a way to escape oh. and it involved an environmental boss fight basically that's so. neat yeah i mean the only boss fight the very first boss fight i found in this game was in a quarry um i was just exploring and someone was like yeah some men went they were they were chopped up they were murdered why don't you go down to that quarry and check and see if see if you can learn anything and i went down and all of a sudden it was a boss fight i was like what the mm-hmm. heck this is like a bare side quest what what's going on um, yeah, well, that's cool. It sounds like they've really fixed a lot of the problems with Zero Dawn. And to be honest, there weren't a ton of problems with Zero Dawn. It's a really great game. So that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. And I mean, Horizon Forbidden West is a monster of a game. Uh, you know, big budgets, years of production. It's a big, big studio. So, uh, you know, you kind of you kind of hope that they would have uh, that level of production quality. But there are some other games out there that have uh smaller budgets and indie developers and i wanted to talk about one right now but before i do dom have you played either uh, of the horizon games i have not but i have heard great things about them as i yeah, have usually, I, I, usually I, from caitlin directly but <laughs> <laughs> yes if you have not gathered caitlin likes these games yeah. <laughs> yes but, it, but it's great to hear that forbidden west seems to be like the perfect sequel and that it improves mm-hmm. upon everything the first game did well while also sticking to what it does what the first game did well well dom if you're if you're twitching for a, a real good action adventure game with tons of exploration and a real interesting world uh highly recommend horizon games they are great but uh you recently played something for the site that caught my eye back when it was announced uh, a while ago because uh it took place on the east coast of canada where i am from mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a from i'm a maritimer and the game is Moonglow Bay. And this is an indie game that is kind of about fishing, sort of. It takes place in a fishing village on the east coast of Canada. And it has a very unique graphic style that kind of looks like Minecraft, by the way, of Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. Um, and you played it for the site. And I was hoping to talk to you a little bit about it mm-hmm. and uh, whether you enjoyed it. Or I, I understand there were a few things about it that didn't really click with you but for the most part you seem to have an okay time with it yeah i would, I would say I, I enjoyed my time with it but uh it's just mm, it's like it's a game that i really hate to be so harsh towards but some of the issues with it really are just too too just glaring to ignore or to just give a pass yeah you mentioned that in the review uh we'll get to that in a sec i just want to talk a little bit so what's the yeah. game about like what's the plot so um the game opens up with uh you and your spouse your significant other the are out fishing and all of a sudden your spouse for all intents and purposes is killed out while you're fishing and because of this it, fish yeah there's a there's like a freak accident and oh okay your spouse is um is dead and i didn't realize that this was going to be a revenge oh, game yeah. wow <laughs> quite the starting <laughs> but um uh and after that the whole village or your whole fishing town is 
nobody wants to go out to fish anymore because they're afraid. And you yourself are sort of just in a stupor for three years as you're trying to come to terms with your um, with your loss. But then, um, so then fast forward three years, then your daughter comes back from college and she's like, um, hey, I want to help get this town back into shape. And um, because she's your daughter, of course, you agree to help. And this begins the, you know, the, your, as this begins the path towards you rebuilding your community because in the three years since, the community really has fallen apart because, you know, there's no more, there's no economy because no one wants to go out to fish. And mm-hmm. it's you sort of reigniting the, the community. You're, you're bringing the community back to life. You're making people want to go out and fish again. You're, you're renovating all the decrepit buildings and you're, you're trying to motivate people again to town. And that's the that's the essence of the game. What's the time frame of the game? Like, when does it take place today or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's modern day, I'd say. OK, it's modern day. Yeah. OK, it's interesting because this is something coming from the Maritimes. Uh, a lot of fishing villages like this obviously went through hard times uh, throughout the 90s and today because of uh, uh, rapidly depleting uh, fish uh, fishing stocks mm-hmm. uh, around the coasts. And there are a lot of villages, essentially, that you know, they're just kind of like one road towns now. And they are, they've spent years trying to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm, if I ever play this, I think I'm going to relate to it real hard. Um, so anyway, you go out, you got a boat, you fish. How does fishing work in this game? So um, initially you just get um, a rod. It's usually, the game initially just sets you up with like the standard rod fishing. that. Uh, we... Yes, the, uh, the wooden sword of fishing games. Yeah. <laughs> that we, that anyone knew like who's played Stardew Valley or any sort of these type of RPGs is probably familiar with. And um, yeah, you just throw out your bait, you throw out your hook, you wait for it to sink, and then you try and reel the fish in. But Moongo Bay is um, a little different in that they have like a, instead of usually these type of games, you have to like struggle with the fish for like a really long time, mm-hmm. even at the start to like reel them in. But Moongo Bay has like a thing called striking where you just yank the rod. And it it like just drags the fish closer to you significantly. So if you oh. just if you just strike the if you just strike a couple of times, you can pretty much catch any fish in the game, which is great at first. But then like once like even in the later stages of the game, once you start catching like the feistier fish, like this this keeps on working a little too well actually. Mm. <laughs> it makes it, it it's it, it makes it not quite as engaging as it should be, I guess. That's too bad considering it's the central mechanic of the game. Yeah. And like they give you all, they also give you all these like different rods, like four different rods, different lure types, and different types of bait for catching fish. But like it, all the fishing kind of ends up playing out the same, not too different from each other. And even then, like rod fishing is just like not the way to go with how the game wants you to progress because um, the core gameplay loop is you fish and then you cook the fish. Or sometimes if it's really valuable fish, you don't cook it. But Either way, you end up selling um, what you catch or what you cook. And with the money you get from that, you renovate the buildings in town. And that is how you um, make progress throughout the game. But you're, when you, when like each dish, even the most expensive ones, sell for like 200 to like 300 shells, which is like the in-game currency. But then yeah, that's what get... we use in the Maritimes. <laughs> shells. Yeah. <laughs> but dollars game... have no... Wait, dollars, paper money? No, no, no. Shells. <laughs> that's the... That's the currency of my youth. Exactly. But the game expects you to spend thousands upon thousands of shells to renovate everything in town. So like rod fishing just 
doesn't really become or doesn't really stay a viable option. You kind of just because the, the advantage with rod fishing is you can catch the really big fish, which mm-hmm. is, just sell for a lot of money. But when you just fish with the net or you use lobster traps, you can get um, up to medium sized fish or like just crustaceans with lobster traps. And those end up selling if you just like cook those in huge batches and you just sell them all at once. It's like it's way more efficient, I guess, with unless you unless you just want to spend like 30 hours just, you know, fishing and upgrading the game. No, but if you if you just want to like make decent progress, um, like net fishing and lobster trapping is just so much more so much more efficient with your time. I kind of feel like the developers of this game missed the point with the depleting fish stocks of yeah. Nova Scotia <laughs> and, the, and Newfoundland and the Maritimes. Yeah. Like, I, I, I like how, I like how this game eventually be- just becomes profit driven and just dredge the seas. Yeah. <laughs> and like the net fishing spots, like keep respawning as well. Like even as you're fishing them, like I would like, I would reel in the net and then immediately like the spot would respawn with new fish. So, yeah. You know. So there's not even necessarily an incentive to like go someplace else. Yeah, well, like, if you maybe it's like to like catch different types of fish, but besides that, it's yeah, not the most environmentally friendly message I've ever heard. <laughs> but okay, if you find a spot with like good medium fish, then like you can pretty much just farm that spot until until it stops respawning. Because believe me, if there's one thing the Maritimes have learned, it's that eventually the fish don't start respawn don't respawn <laughs> in the same spot. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you like um aside from the whole like the goal is to revitalize the town do you unlock additional things when you you know re you know fix a building or whatnot like do you get access to new people or quests yeah, that was or... like the most disappointing part because like um i guess in like when compared to stardew valley when you like fix the community center or you sell out to joja because you're evil um, you, like, <laughs> I think like, the correct term is soulless. Yeah. Soulless. <laughs> like there's a like there's like something tangible there. Like the community center has people going in there, and you have all the Junimos in there, or you have like the supermarket from Joja. But in, in Mungo Bay, like you just upgrade the buildings, and wow, like they're they're prettied up, and that's about it. Like there's, I think the most significant thing I had was the library. I unlocked the library, and like after you. You unlock the library, you get like a tiny room and it has like a progress gauge, like a thermometer shaped progress gauge for like different rewards you can get for like for depending on how much um, you've invested into the town. Like that's about it. Like even stuff like upgrading the train station doesn't really do much. That is super disappointing. That's such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Like the most like the most tangible thing is you get like a slight bump in how much you're good sell for but that's about it mostly i mean i can for i could see a version of this game where that the town building system is just as important as the fishing and like you can do things like build up a tourist economy or Mm. uh like the train station could bring in tourists or more people and that kind of thing and unfortunately that's just not where it goes yeah it's too bad well I mean, as far as I can tell, that's not the most disappointing thing about the game. The most disappointing thing about the game seems to be the bugs. And yeah. it sounds like there is a lot of them. More bugs than fish. Yeah. <laughs> Infinitely respawning bugs. Yeah, it's like the, like the, like, I, like, Moon, one thing Moon Bay really put into perspective for me is, is the importance of just having coherent, well, like, also just having a polished experience, but also just having a coherent set of base controls. Because, mm. um, I'm like, I'm like one of those people who will, doesn't really bother too much with like rebinding keys even in like the more finicky games i've played but like mungo bay was just 
impossible to play without rebinding keys because um, on the PC they have like the interact button for mini games mapped to like four different keys for some reason. So one mini game mini game asks you to press C for to like interact with it, and another mini game asks you to press N. Another one asks you to press M, and it's like, and then why? Sometimes the menu so unnecessary. Like the menu and the world. Some like it. It sometimes you move with the WASD key. Sometimes you move around with the arrow keys, and then like depending on, actually like going from the start menu to the options menu, confirm flip flops between spacebar and enter, and <laughs> and the the thing is the button prompts on the screen don't even say spacebar and enter. They just have like the icons of the keys Uh, that's that's a very easy thing to fix though like basic basic beta testing should reveal those issues yeah so when i first booted up the game like i was literally just mashing every key on my keyboard like okay how do i how do i get to the options menu (laughs) because this is not working and eventually i just gave up i just plugged in my controller and then the controllers actually have like have like a like proper like coherent button prompts. Okay, that would do it. Yeah, but wow, the PC the PC controls are just incoherent. And there's a mini game as well where um, for the controller you have to you have to slide like a you have to like move around the thing in a circle and keep it within within the green bar to make progress. But mm-hmm. for PC because um, the PC controls are just too binary. So like you press like the up arrow key once and it'll just the 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 marker will just spin around and like an entire 180 degrees so the minigame just like is impossible to complete almost with a good score so it's almost like they they designed this to be played with controller and and keyboard and mouse controls were in pretty much they didn't if even not. they didn't even have keep like remapping until december which is like two months after release. Oh, so that's really too bad. So this, so th- so uh, so this is like, of course, not already not a very good impression of the game. But then, as you play through the game, like all these bugs start coming up as well. So um, in the game, you can take requests from the community bulletin board, and you know it's like people are like, "Oh, can you cook me this dish? Can you catch me like a lobster or something?" God, this community seems selfish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're pay- they're pretty pretty good. So I guess. I guess it's a fair trade, but like the that's all fine and good. But the problem is sometimes the people will just disappear. Like they're they're programmed to go into their homes and like offices, but the thing is you cannot enter those homes and offices. So the objective marker will just be sitting inside of this house that you cannot enter. And the only way you can complete these objectives is if you catch them at just the right time when they're like walking when they're walking from their homes or like to their offices or something like that. When you catch them as they're like pathing through the world and like oh. you converse with them. Oh no. That, no, no, no. That's no, such no. an easy fix though. Like yeah. you could knock on their doors or you could you should be able to cash it in at the bulletin board. Exactly. But yeah. So yeah, I didn't even know this until um one day I just like was randomly walking around in the morning and one of these um requests I had sitting in my inbox for like two days because I couldn't complete it. All of a sudden mm-hmm. I see this the objective marker is like walk walking towards me. Like, oh, what is this? And then I just, yeah, I just spammed the interact button and ended up being able to talk to him right before he entered his hit the building and became uninteractive. Here's your fish pie. I made it four days ago. Enjoy. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you might want to reheat I mean, it. He was grateful for it. So I guess, I guess it's, it worked out in the end, but yeah. And then there's of course like continuity errors and like li- weird things like sometimes like in the opening cutscene. um, there's a there's a spot where it's like all the townspeople are gathered at the beach and they're like 
they're like yelling and then instead of like the in the dialogue box instead of saying all townspeople or something it says all npcs i'm like what is this is this correct so it sounds like it's trying to move in and like sometimes there's a fourth wall sometimes there's not i'm not even sure so maybe was this just like an oversight i'm not like i i can't tell because inconsistent metatone yeah because the game itself doesn't seem to try and break the fourth wall too much, as far as I can tell. Yeah, but, yeah. I think that's I think that's part of the problem with this, especially this style of graphics uh, is that maybe I'm wrong about this. I don't know who the developers or their intent are or their intent. But since the style of graphics is super deformed and using voxels and everything, mm-hmm. maybe the idea is this actually does take place in a video game world. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, that should be, like attention should be called to it. They can't just randomly be like, "This is an NPC. Yeah. I'm an NPC." Like that's just weird and disjointed based on the world that you're presented with. Which based based on what I saw in reading your review, it, it kind of plays it as just like East Coast Canada. And then there's also the thing where if you like if you walk off the off the pavement, it's like getting stuck on rocks and trees is such a so common that you in the pause menu there's a thing called help i'm stuck and if you press that if you press oh, that what? if you press that it teleports you to a safe area oh at first, my god at, at first when i saw that i was like is this like a hint system like do it like when i get when i get stuck in a, <laughs> on a game do i like stuck like progressing through the game do i press this I'm like no it's you press that and it teleports you to a safe place so you literally get unstuck. Um, wow, that is a, yeah. no offense to them, but if you have to include a help I'm stuck button in your menus, that is a failure of game design right there. Yeah. It's like, dude, what, is this is this is this really the solution to this problem here? <laughs> how about just not, yeah. how about just removing collision for some things so, you know, your player <laughs> doesn't get stuck in perpetuity. What is this, a Bethesda game? Yeah. <laughs> my thoughts exactly i have to say that i when i read your review i was disappointed not in your review but uh that the game was not uh more polished than it was yeah. i thought this game had some real potential so um, did I, yeah. but it's a shame that like developing the town for example wasn't a much more uh, engaging experience as a character mm-hmm. uh, for the character and for you um is it like a semi-open world kind of thing like, can you wander around the town? Yeah, it, it's it's semi-open world. And like more so than the town, it's like there are a lot of different biomes that you can go to in your trawler. And Okay, so walled gardens. Yeah, kind of kind of like that. So it's, it's yeah, the town is, in my opinion, actually like the least interesting part <laughs> about the game. Mm. And then it's like... See, that's annoying because that's the part that introduce, in, interests me the most. Because yeah. to be completely honest, fishing is not my thing. Yes, nor is it mine. <laughs> Although I like the fishing in Forbidden West because it doesn't involve a fishing rod. You just swim fast enough and you catch fish. Oh, that's how you catch fish in Forbidden West. And for in Horizon Zero Dawn, you catch fish by shooting them with arrows. <laughs> yeah, I tried that and it doesn't work in Forbidden West. You have to, I mean, unless I'm missing something, you have to actually swim after them and catch them with your bare hands. And I'm like... I could I get I, I got behind it. I actually like that. Okay. This is my favorite fishing mini game that, that I is guess. a pretty metal way to catch fish There's- when amanda was playing uh breath of the wild i remember i walked in and i was i just saw her standing on the edge of uh edge of a creek 
and pulling out a bomb and throwing a bomb in the water and exploding it and the fish <laughs> rising to the top again. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, fishing. fishing. Yeah. I'm like, don't you, isn't your professional career in conservation? <laughs> like, what is this? Some kind of bizarre wish fulfillment? Um, yeah. And then she, she commented similarly when she saw me fishing with my bow and arrow, she's like, eh, it's still not as effective as the bombs, but not bad. Um, well, I'm going to take, thank you very much, Dom, for telling us about uh, Moonglow Bay. I wish it was better, but it doesn't sound bad. It just sounds like there's a lot that could have been improved. Yeah. I mean, if they fix all the bugs, um, it's, I think it's, and remove it's a, the help I'm stuck. It's, button. A, it's a pretty good game, but at, even at like, I feel like the biggest thing is at its current polish level, I just can't really justify the its current price as well. It's almost yeah. 25 bucks, which is a bit steep, I feel. I so, think you're right. Um, yeah. hmm. All right. Well, um, I, I, okay. Well, thank, first of all, I thank you both for uh, being here and telling us about your respective games. Uh, I wanted to end the episode as per usual with a discussion question because I, it, I suddenly realized, especially talking uh, there about uh, Moonglow Bay, uh, different kinds of open worlds. I wanted to uh, ask this. So what is your favorite kind of open world? Do you like a Breath of the Wild style uh, open world with like a huge mass of beautiful scenery to explore like an open expanse or do you prefer a fallout style open world and there's location markers everywhere you look or do you prefer like a walled garden approach like in Yakuza where it's a, it's a smaller area but you can explore it uh, in more detail uh, Dom which one do you prefer what kind of what kind of open world is your favorite mm, I feel if it's implemented well probably like a breath of the wild type open world is my favorite but I feel so often it's people or developers kind of conflate having just like big world with having an engaging world. So I don't mm -hmm. think I've seen that executed too successfully. And Fallout's open world drives me crazy because I, I'm, the, I'm mm. one of the types that has to complete everything that's on the map. <laughs> yeah. So if there are like 20 location markers on the map, I'm never completing that game. But yeah. And I feel like in general, I feel like the walled garden types from my experience have been like the most consistently interesting to explore. So I guess I guess I do prefer walled garden types the most so far. Walled gardens have some uh, some significant advantages. Yeah. Um, especially for smaller developers, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, Caitlin, which kind do you prefer? Well, I think what motivates me the most to explore an open world is the, the visuals and the, 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 the art design and just the, the sense of wonder of this place looks really cool. I want to go check it out. Um, which is kind of weird for me to say that because I noped out of Breath of the Wild pretty quickly like i still haven't finished the game i don't think i ever mm -hmm. will um so it's i guess i the setting works well for me I, it has to there has to be motivation though like it's not just don't just drop me in this pretty world and have me just you know go around checking things out because i'll probably eventually lose interest so it needs to have a good story hook too mm -hmm. Uh, to to motivate me to want to check out things. That's part of the reason why uh, I like Zero Dawn and Forbidden West so much is it does have that story and that lore hook and you know a great main character uh, to get behind. Um, but I also um, well, I guess maybe this is not so much a difference. Um, Ghost of Tsushima is a, a game I would point out as having a really good open world. That game for is the environments are ridiculously beautiful and I found myself, I'm not necessarily, I don't really like, you know, the sort of Ubisoft style of let's just 
litter a map with a bunch of different checklist mm -hmm. sort of style icons where you're supposed to go here and pick up this thing or go here and wipe out the enemies is part of the reason why the rebel camps and the bandit camps are some of the most least in, uh, interesting parts of both horizon games yeah. because it's very much just go here kill everybody and check it off your that's box. one of the reasons i'm so excited um, that they've actually implemented some uh, puzzle mechanics into tallnecks so yeah. they're not just towers so you know like tsushima kind of you know it does still do the ubisoft thing of you know go find this fox shrine or you know, go deal with uh, with these uh, Mongols here or whatnot. Um, but the world was so utterly gorgeous that I found myself wanting to just go around and uncover everything uh, because on top of the story, just, you know, the world was what made me want to interact with the various different things that the game could the, the side activities that I could do and horizons uh, more in forbidden West. I, I mean, I really like zero dawn's world, but there is a Darth of things to do there that aren't side quests or just finding a random machine site or, you mm -hmm. know, going and finding this, this random mug for some reason, the only artifacts you find are coffee mugs, <laughs> yep. um, you know, that gets you a little, you know, tidbit of lore or whatnot but doesn't really you know you don't really interact with it beyond collect this thing and then sell it to a merchant who thinks for, they're for shaving uh, of course you would yeah. you look at them and you're like of course you think they would be right? for shaving <laughs> yeah so yeah i like i yeah final answer horizon ghost of tsushima um yeah i think those are kind of more like my uh, give me a, a beautiful world that i have a reason to want to explore but make it rewarding for me to just say f you main story that thing on the horizon looks cool i want to go check it out and maybe i find some cool stuff that distracts me along the way but mm -hmm. do yep. that uh although i do love a good walled garden uh obviously being a yakuza fan um and i love breath of the wild style open worlds because i find it very relaxing to wander nature without needing to leave my home because i wandering nature is not my favorite thing in the world there are bugs um <laughs> indeed there are bugs <laughs> yes there are bugs and you can't sell you that can't sell them to people. <laughs> um i my favorite style of open world is actually a fallout style um i totally get why you feel overwhelmed and annoyed that like there's so many things you need to do all the things but i love doing all the things mm -hmm. um and i love that i hated a lot of fallout 76 there was so much they got wrong but they did nail the world and the feeling of Fallout 3 and 4 and New Vegas of just like around every corner, there's a new building or a factory or there's something and you can see things in your mini map and you're like, oh, I'm going to head there. Like, I just I, I love that. It's a very rewarding gameplay loop for me. Uh, and it just gives me that little little endorphin hit every time I find myself. Uh, and if you find yourself something really great, like a vault, oh, it's just it's magic. Um but yeah, that that's what I think. So there are tons of open worlds, and I mean, there are there's a lot of debate on whether or not open worlds are dead now because everything has an open world. Eh, I don't know. It's it, I don't think open worlds are dead. I think that open worlds are just like any other mechanic in video games, which mm -hmm. is they can be done poorly or they can be done well. It's just a video game convention at this point. Yeah. Uh, and if it's done poorly, I don't think it's the death of open world. I think it's just that you have a developer who doesn't know how to pull it off. I think open world have has just suffered from oversaturation more than anything because it's been like the gaming 
buzzword for quite a while now. Yeah, for for yeah. decades that was mm-hmm. the that was the uh, the aim. That was the goal of developers is to have a fully realized open world. And I think we got there. And now I just don't think they know where to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think balance is the real issue. You have to balance both. Both just like the size of the world, because it is possible to create an open world where it's just too big and it gets, you know, tiresome to explore it. Um, But, you know, that and also balancing your sort of, you know, the whole point of having an open world is you want to give players the freedom to just explore in any direction they choose, whatever they want to do, you know, whether it's main story or side quests. But you also want to give them things to do to justify why they're going in that direction there has to be a good balance between giving them that freedom and giving them things to do without oversaturating mm-hmm. it so much where it's like, you know, busy mm-hmm. work, you know, to, to do all these yep. things. It should, there should be try as much as possible to make discovering things in the world. Uh, even if it ultimately is part of a collection of things you do, a more organic part of the mm-hmm. experience that makes sense for the world and feels rewarding just on its own without the need to like say, oh, I have to do, do all these towers mm-hmm. in order to get something good. No, I get something good just by doing this one tower and I get some lore and I have a fun time doing it. Mm-hmm. That's Walt good. Disney called them weenies um, in Disneyland. It was his design philosophy. They were called weenies and that is a a big structure that catches your eye and draws you to it because you suspect there's going to be something there. So it would be the castle or it would be the rocket ship in uh in Tomorrowland, or it would be one of the one of the mountains. Um, these were weenies, and that was the design philosophy behind all of the Disney parks for years. And I think that works really well in uh, open worlds as well, where if you see something on the horizon, like you said, Caitlin, you want to go to that thing because it catches your eye. It looks interesting. I bet there's some good content over there. Uh, be right back. Making myself a note to never go to Disneyland or Disney World ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, it's not the it's not the best word in the world, but um, well, anyway, uh, debates about whether or not Disney World constitutes an open world aside, it, I'm sure it will eventually. Uh, thank you both very much for that. Your thoughts on open worlds and for being here on this episode. So I just need to uh, do a little bit of housekeeping here before we sign off for the evening. Uh, yeah, so this was uh, this was the 235th episode of Random. We have many old episodes of Random in the past. Uh, you can find them all at RPGFan.com or probably in your podcast player of choice. Um, but this is not the only podcast we have here at RPG Fan. We also have Retro Encounter with Mike Solosi. Uh, last week, we had a dive into the first episode of a two-parter. We did Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Um, I love this game. It was great talking about it again. We just recorded the second part now, so that will be coming out this Thursday. Uh, and then after that, uh, there is going to be uh, a, a couple of very special episodes. It's going to Metroidvania March, and uh, we're going to be doing three Metroid games uh, in three weeks. Uh, the episodes are going to be Castlevania, Aria of Sorrow, following that Super Metroid, which is not usually the type of Metroid that we cover, but it's such a foundational part of the genre that we wanted to cover it. And the last one is going to be Salt and Sanctuary, which is a uh, modern indie Metroidvania, and uh, it, 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 it's a modern spin on the idea, pulling uh, ideas from various other genres, including Souls-likes. Um, so those episodes are going to be super exciting and I can't wait to be on a few of them. Uh, we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG fans music podcast. Last week we had our Valentine's Day episode, which was full of songs of love. 
um, including some that you wouldn't expect to be full of love, but are. And then next week, we're going to be taking a look at the works of Kumi Tanioka. And uh, that is going to be uh, next Monday. Uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire us off a message at podcastrpgfan.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have any ideas for like episode themes or discussion questions, we'd love to have some discussion questions. Uh, come on, just send them in. Uh, and if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Twitter at jono underscore logan. Uh, I'm not the only one who has an online presence on this podcast. Caitlin, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aurelia Burrell. Um, same handle I use on our Discord server. Awesome. And Dom, where can we find you? You can find me on the RPG Fan Discord as DH Caddy. Cool. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Uh, you can help us get the word out there, or you can rate us on uh, iTunes and uh, your other podcast players of choice. Uh, well, again... Thank you, Caitlin and Dom, for joining me this evening. Thank you all for listening, and whatever you're playing, have fun.